I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, I'm going to be focused on one spot. No lists, no lists, no debunking, just a good old-fashioned haunted location. And some say it's the most haunted location in all of Scotland. But before I get to that, I have to tell you that I think I had an EVP or two on episode 27, the Rendlesham Forest Incident episode. And then I left both of the possible EVPs in there so you guys could hear them and make up your mind on your own. Was it an EVP? Was I hearing something? Was I getting some stray CB signal like some people seem to think I get? But I have to tell you that this is the only time that has ever happened in all the time I've been recording the podcast. I record them in the exact same spot, using the exact same equipment, And it's never happened before. I've never got an odd wave on my recording that when I listened back to it, I could hear a voice. Now, the second time it was all garble, but that first time I really could hear a voice. And it's towards the, I don't know, two minute mark of the episode. So if you listen to it and all of a sudden there's a very loud stuff happening, that's the EVP I left in. I just tweaked it up. I turned up the volume. That's all I did. I didn't change the EVP at all. I didn't try to clear it up. I didn't try to isolate that section and and digitally enhance it or whatever the hell you would do. No, I literally just increased the volume on that spot so I could figure out what it was I thought I was hearing. So again, if you if you listen to that episode and you think you hear something too and you think you can make out what they're saying, let me know. Or if you listen to the episode and you go, that's obviously a crossed cell phone mixed with a neighbor walking by with their TV on too loud while they're watching Cheers and Nick at Night. Whatever you think the, whatever, however you think you can debunk it, it's fine with me. Either debunk it or prove it to me either way, but it's something weird that I wanted to let you guys know that happened. Also, that same night, something else odd that has never happened prior happened. It The night that I recorded that episode, I went to bed about two hours after I went to sleep, my TV came on, just popped on. Luckily, I've got a sound bar that I had turned off, so it wasn't I wasn't awoken by all of a sudden a loud TV. I was just awoken by the fact that my, te- my room was all bright because the TV had popped on. Now, if that wasn't odd enough, it happened a total of seven times that night, throughout the night. It wasn't a specific timer. It wasn't anything. It wasn't like every half hour it would pop on, nothing like that. But the TV would just pop on at 12.30, then at 1.30. 45 and then two and I tried to debunk it as it happened the first time startled me second time annoyed me because I really needed a good night's sleep and I just wasn't getting it so I took the batteries out of the remote thinking maybe the remote which wasn't pointed at the tv at all but maybe the batteries were going on the remote so it was just sparking you know something was kicking on took the batteries out it still happened I took the remote out of the room And it still happened a total of seven times throughout the night until I finally just said out loud, "Okay, thank you. I've got to get to bed. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. So, again, 
I don't know what to make of that, but it was an interesting enough experience that I wanted to pass it along to you guys just to let you guys know that sometimes strange things happen. I can't explain it. Maybe you can. But enough about my weird crap. Let's get on to tonight's episode. It's the Southbridge Vaults, and these vaults are located in Edinburgh, Scotland. The Edinburgh Vaults, or Southbridge Vaults, are a series of chambers hidden from view, and it's deep beneath Edinburgh's bustling South Bridge. And it's an ancient network of vaults and storage areas that were constructed in the late 18th century. From the beginning, the vaults and the bridge above them were regarded as cursed, and that's because when South Bridge was completed in 1788, it had been intended for the city's oldest resident to make the first official crossing. Sadly, though, she died immediately prior to the opening, and her coffin was the first thing to cross the bridge instead. Not surprisingly, a superstition started saying that the bridge was cursed, and as a result of her death, many of the folks from Edinburgh refused to cross it. For around 30 years, the vaults were used to house taverns, workshops for cobblers, and other tradesmen, as well as storage space for merchants. In later years, though, the vaults were the central location for homeless people and, not surprisingly, for criminal activities such as illegal gambling, taverns, illegal whiskey distilleries, and, depending on where you get your information from about the Southbridge vaults, some of the websites during my research say that serial killers Burke and Hare stored corpses there overnight. And for those of you who don't know, don't feel too bad about this. I really didn't know, so I had to do a little research myself. The Burke and Hare murders were a series of 16 murders committed over a period of about 10 months in 1828 in Edinburgh, Scotland. The killers were William Burke and William Hare, who sold corpses to Dr. Robert Knox for dissection at his anatomy lectures. Edinburgh was a leading European center of anatomical study in the early 19th century, and in that time, there was a demand for cadavers, and it led to a shortfall of legal cadavers. Scottish law required that corpses used for medical research should only come from those who have died in prison, suicide victims, or from foundlings and orphans. And this shortage of corpses led to an increase in grave robbing by what were known as, and this is a cool title, but for a scary thing, these people were known as resurrection men. The grave robbers that stole the corpses to sell to anatomical studies were named Resurrection Men. Now, when a lodger in Hare's house had died, he turned to his friend Burke for advice, and they decided to sell the body. So they did. They received the sum of £7.10 shillings for it, which was quite a good deal for something that just happened to happen in this guy's house. A little over two months later, though, when Hare was concerned that a lodger suffering from a fever would deter others from staying in the house, he and Burke just murdered her and sold the body to Knox again. And the men figured out this was a real quick way for some quick, easy cash. So the men continued their murder spree until their actions were uncovered after other lodgers discovered their last victim, Margaret Doherty, and called the police. And of course, it was found that she was suffocated, and this led to the arrest of Burke and Hare. But anyhow, this episode isn't about Burke and Hare, it's about those vaults, so let's get back to them. Now, it's estimated that dozens of men, women, and children succumbed to disease in the vaults. They were poor ventilated. In fact, families of up to 10 people crammed into the small underground rooms, which had, again, no ventilation, no sunlight, no running water. So it's safe to say that these were a bad place to call home. Eventually, though, the vaults were blocked up and then forgotten about. And I don't mean that in a figurative way. These vaults were forgotten about. 
Time moved on, and people completely forgot that these vaults existed. And it's bizarre to me that something so big with such a seedy past was just forgotten about completely, but... As with everything, it was soon rediscovered, and for this case, it was in the late 1980s by former Scotland ruggedy internationalist Nori Rowan. And he spent a number of years excavating them, and that was when they discovered that people had actually lived there, because they found toys, medicine bottles, plates, and other signs of human habitation in small trash piles. Now, it's not known when the vault complex was closed down, and some are suggesting it was early as 1835, Others say it was probably around 1875. Again, it all depends on where you do your research online. It's not well documented. I'll just put it that way. And when I say not well documented, I mean that written records regarding the vaults during their slum use are virtually non-existent to this day. All that's known is that at some point, tons of rubble were dumped into the vaults, making them inaccessible. Hundreds of tons of rubble were removed by hand, and several interesting artifacts were discovered including thousands of oyster shells, which apparently was part of the staple diet of the Edinburgh working class. To go back in time just a little bit, on Saturday, July 1st, 1815, the Edinburgh Evening Current reported that, on the 24th, Mr. Mackenzie, supervisor, accompanied by messenger Gorey and McNaughton, officers, discovered a private distillery of considerable extent under the arch of the South Bridge, which has been working these past 18 months. The particulars of this seizure are worthy of notice. From the great pains which have been taken to prevent disclosure, the original door to the place where the operations were going forward had been carefully built up and plastered over so as to prevent any appearance of an entrance. Behind the grate in the fireplace of a bedroom, an opening had been made and fitted with an iron door and lock, exactly fitting the grate which could have only been seen by being removed. And this passage led to the flat above by a trapdoor and a ladder. This place again was in one of the deaf arches, which is immediately adjoining the middle arch of the bridge, now the caves venue. And the person had found means to convey a pipe from one of the town's branches, which gave a plentiful supply of water. A soil pipe was also got at, and the hole broke into the neighboring vent to carry off the smoke. So basically what this is showing is how in-depth these people went to turn these vaults into a working underground establishment. And I mean underground in both sense of the terms. These things were not just someone put a box up there and put a bottle and just sold something out of a vault. People went to great lengths to make these things like a speakeasy, if you will. I just found that online while I was doing a lot of research, and I thought it was really interesting to see how in-depth they'd actually went. Now, today, though, Nori Rowan operates a nightclub and a bar within a section of the vaults, but other parts are being used by ghost tour companies, which sounds amazing, and I would love to go on one of these ghost tours just to walk through these vaults, and to see them first person would be amazing. And as I'm sure you can guess, many of these ghost tours are claiming that it's the capital's most haunted location. In fact, while I was researching, there have literally been hundreds of ghost sightings and paranormal activities in the caverns since they've been reopened. Not just through the tours, too. While they were excavating, paranormal things would happen. They would hear voices. They would feel someone walk past them. Someone touch them. They would feel strange breezes that had no explanations at all. So it's not just the tours. This is construction people and people that are skeptical, if you will, are hearing and seeing the same things that these ghost hunting tours are seeing as well. Now, just to give you a sample of some of the stuff they're seeing on these ghost tours, some of them are not surprising, including voices, again, strange gusts of air out of nowhere, odd shadows that move on their own, 
and other apparitions. Some visitors to the vaults have even reported physical contact, usually in the form of scratches or bruises. So these aren't just someone touched me or someone brushed my shoulder. These are physical attacks, if you will, by unseen entities. One cool story is that in 2003, BBC Radio Scotland producer Debbie McPhail was speaking to Nori Rowan in the vaults, only to discover that the recordings that they had made were completely unusable due to a mysterious voice speaking in Gaelic. Hey, skeptics, explain that one to me. Sure, I get that a lot of times skeptics say, well, it's if the EVPs always speaking perfect English. Why aren't they speaking different dialects or different languages for that matter? Well, this voice, this unseen voice that they didn't hear during the interviews, they only heard when they played it back, was speaking in Gaelic. Now, BBC radio personnel who played it back claimed it sounded like a voice saying, get out or go away in Gaelic. Mrs. McPhail said at the time, I'm a cynical person by nature, especially about this sort of thing, but I just don't have any explanation for this. Now, some of you might have actually have heard of these vaults before because they attracted the show Most Haunted, and it was hosted by Yvette Fielding, which I don't know how you guys feel about her, but for me, Yvette Fielding is a huge red flag as far as I'm concerned. But you know what? To each their own. It's just my own personal opinion about her. I've seen too many things online that seem to suggest that she's not the legit deal. She's not the real deal. But again, that's my own red flag on that one. Anyhow, the Most Haunted team investigated the vaults on two occasions, claiming it was a home to a myriad of supernatural occurrences that defy explanation. And it wasn't just them, too. American TV shows such as Ghost Adventures and... Joe Swash Believes in Ghosts, which I don't know what that show is, they've also investigated the vaults. Now, according to the City of the Dead tours, which run nightly tours in these vaults, which again, if you're listening, City of Dead tours, I would love to go and do an investigation there or just go on your tour in general. Now, this tour says the vaults are as black as Satan's jammies, which I love that phrase, and are stalked by a malevolent presence known as the Southbridge Entity. Now, the Southbridge entity, again, depending on where you go for your research, is called a few things. Some just straight up call them the Southbridge entity, while some call them the Watcher. But it seems like most of the sites I went to call them Mr. Boots. So Mr. Boots is an evil entity who is believed to have murdered a woman and kept the body in his house inside in the vaults. How they know that, I don't know because it doesn't say online. So it sounds to me like they're just kind of flowering up Mr. Boots's presence, but again, maybe I missed something in my research. But anyhow, he hates the people who tour the vaults and allegedly gets angry or even attacks anyone who dares to sit in the spot where the body was hidden. Again, how they know that, I don't know. I mean, I get how they know that he attacks, but how they know why he attacks it because that's the spot where the body was hidden, I don't understand. It's not like they found a skeleton and could trace it back. And I don't know. Again, it just seems like a good tourism thing. So take that one with a grain of salt. But the most common report of his presence are the sounds of thick, heavy boots, hence the name, stepping ever so slowly around visitors. In 2015, tourist Emma Surgener, I'm assuming that's how you say your last name, Emma, I apologize, actually found that she had inadvertently taken a picture of Mr. Boots standing right behind her sister. And I've seen the photos. It's actually a pretty interesting photo. The pictures before and after it show that nothing was there. But in this one particular picture, a semi-transparent person, man, can be seen in it. 
And it's like I said, it's, it's pretty interesting. And I'll try to remember to throw that up online so you can see it as well. Mr. Boots has been seen by hundreds of visitors and with some reports describing him as tall with no eyes, a full beard, a long coat and big thigh high boots. Another ghost seen often is the aristocrat, who is a well-to-do gentleman with a tall black hat and a beard. He's often seen leaning against the wall between the double height room and the tavern. So if you go on this tour, keep that in mind. And his arms are usually folded. He'll watch and grin at people as they pass. Now, for some reason, though, even though he doesn't seem to do anything, his presence is often reported as quite sinister. Which is kind of odd, because like I said, it just seems like he's just standing there, arms folded, watching and smiling at people. One of the people that took the tours said, While walking between rooms, I felt a slight but definite tugging on my jacket. I whirled around to see if anyone was there trying to scare me, because our professor had stomped her shoes moments earlier to sound like Mr. Boots, and she scared the hell out of us. But everyone seemed to be minding their own business. Though a bit paranoid, I decided to just ignore it and enjoy the rest of the tour. Alex then told us of a happier spirit residing in the cobbler's room. And he said it's believed to be a shoemaker from the late 18th century. He's described as short, stocky man wearing a long leather apron and a white shirt. He is known to smile at people as they pass and is generally felt as a positive presence. So I like that story because not only did it talk about an interaction, but it also mentioned another spirit that's in the vaults. And another one is the scariest one to me personally, to me, Kurt. And it's known as The Child. He is a small boy who wanders through the vaults, aged at about six or seven, and he's described as having blonde curly hair and dressed in a smart blue suit with knickerbocker trousers. He is attracted to women and children and has been known to not only hold hands with visitors, but also tug on their clothes. You guys might not know this about me, but the children ghosts are the creepiest ghosts to me. I don't know why that is. It should be the saddest ghost to me because it's not their fault. They died as kids and you should be, you know, you would think I would be more sympathetic to them. But for whatever reason, ghost kids scare the hell out of me. Here's another witness story. Take this one with a grain of salt, though. When it comes to walking down into the vaults, you have a flight of stairs that come in that comes into the circular chambers of the vaults. So I was in the middle of a big group of people, and we were all walking towards the biggest chamber in the vaults. I was walking past a hallway to my left and saw a man leaning against the wall to one side of me. I didn't look right at him because I was honestly surprised and a bit frightened. The man was dressed in old attire, had a top hat on, and had a massive grin on his face. He was leaning against the wall, almost as if watching us all walk past and laughing about how we were dressed. I honestly didn't know whether I had imagined it or not, but he looked solid to me, like you or I. No one else noticed the man or admitted to seeing him at any time of the tour. I had another experience down there, one that was verified by a tour guide. We were standing in the cobbler room. To the left is a doorway and a sharp turn to the left. The guide was talking about the spirit in this room, and I had previously went into Mr. Boots' room and asked him to show himself before going into the cobbler room. As the guide was talking, I saw what could only be described as a shadow figure appear around the corner of the doorway to the left, then disappear behind a curtain that covered another room. I mentioned it to the guide, and the guide said she saw it too. She said it seems someone is trying to play tricks on us tonight, but she refused to check it out, as did I. We both spoke about it, and she reckoned it was Mr. Boots following us. 
I have to say, I went in with no expectations of anything happening and left having two paranormal sightings, both of which, without a doubt, I know were not my imagination. I tried to rationalize and debunk it, but no one else besides our group was down there. This I know because a group just left as we went in. I definitely recommend visiting. So, again, there's some modern first-hand accounts of ghost sightings in these vaults. If you have a chance to go to them, please, please do, and please let me know what you think of them. And if anybody wants to take me, I'll raise my hand right now and say, yes, I would love to go to Edinburgh, Scotland, and I would love to go to these vaults. Now, like I said earlier, I'm going to try and remember to add the Mr. Boots photo as quick as possible. If I don't, please feel free to call me out on Facebook or on Instagram, wherever you like, or on Twitter. It's Paranormal Almanac on everyone except for Twitter, which is just Para Almanac because Twitter's dumb. So there you have it. Those are the South Bridge vaults. I thought it was a unique story. I personally hadn't heard a lot about them, and those are the kind of stories I love. I like telling stories that not everyone's heard. You know, everybody's heard about Roswell, so as fun as it is to talk about it, you pretty much heard everything that's been told, unless they find some new stuff, in which case I'll be the first person to jump on that one. But I like these kind of stories, where maybe not everybody in the audience has heard this story. I think it's a really compelling, really interesting part of history that seems to have a paranormal aspect to it. But what do you guys think? It's that time of the show. What do you guys think? Do you think the Southbridge vaults are haunted at all? Or are they just a scary remnant of a sad, poor past of Scotland? Do you think that these types of ruins or run-down buildings or structures are scary only because they're run-down? Or do you think that there's something more to it and that maybe, that maybe there is something still there, something still lurking in the shadows waiting to jump out or just apparently grin at people passing by? Well, that'll do it for tonight's episode. Once again, my name is Kurt Sandvig, and you've been listening to Paranormal Almanac. Paranormal Almanac.